a guy I know and really appreciate all that, all that he's taught me so much. He grew up in kind of a rural area down by Wilmington. And as, when I got to know him, he got really excited about planting a vineyard. So he had, he had gotten vines and kind of had planted them. And he was just all excited and just, it was nonstop. It was always the topic of conversation about this vineyard that he was hoping, hoping to grow. And the thing about a vineyard is evidently it takes like three years for those grapes to actually produce fruit, enough so that you could drink, you know, enough to crush them and make, make your own wine. So that was always like the hope. It was this light at the end of the tunnel. You know, he's going out there, he's pruning nonstop, he's caring for the vines in the hope that he's going to have this homemade, like homegrown wine. And so eventually it got to the third year where it's like, this is the year where we're going to have the grapes. We're going to make our own wine. Didn't happen. No crop came up. I don't know exactly what happened. I believe he forgot to put a pesticide or a fungicide on it and some critters or something got to it and there was no grapes whatsoever. And then it was, of course, the next year we're going to have our own wine that we're going to drink. That was like four years ago. I don't think he's ever gotten a crop of grapes to the point. Last time I heard, he was very frustrated. He was just going to rip out the whole thing. He was kind of done with it. But he he had this incredible diligence in working the vineyard. He had this incredible just uh, that he would take his time. Granted, I guess he didn't think about the pesticide thing. But I thought, like, why? What made it so much that he loved and wanted this vineyard to grow? Part of it, get your own wine. That's kind of a cool thing. But then also, he, he was a man just imbued with the biblical world. And in the Bible, vineyards are so important. Vineyards play such an important role, a huge role of great imagery. And even in the Gospels, these three weeks, we're in the midst of the vineyard parables. So if you remember last Sunday, we had the one where the guy had the vineyard and he goes and gets workers at six, at nine, at noon, and he just keeps going back to work in the vineyard. And then next week, we'll get another, we'll get another gospel about the vineyard, the one, <coughs> excuse me, the one where the, uh, oh, what is next week? Oh, I don't remember, but it is a vineyard one. Trust me on that. <laughs> so anyways, this week we have another one about a vineyard. We have this, this one with a man who has two sons, and it's really a straightforward parable. It's about as straightforward as they come. He goes to the first son and says, go work in my vineyard, and the son says, I will not. But if I would have said that to my dad, as soon as those words left my mouth, I would have to start running. And of course, eventually he comes back and he starts to work in the vineyards, probably because he got the belt. Um, but, but then the other, the other son says, yes, sir, I will. Like he even says the word sir, which is kind of like, hey, I'm paying you my respects. But then of course he doesn't. Like he finds something better to do. Like he goes and takes a nap or plays Xbox or whatever else. And so this just, it's pretty straightforward. He asked the priests, the elders, so which one did his father's will? They get the right answer. It's the first one, the one that actually did end up doing what his father asked him. And so it's pretty straightforward until we get to this very last part of it. And he, he makes it personal, right? He, this parable makes sense. And then he points the finger, Jesus does, at these priests, at these elders, and says, all right, but now tax collectors and prostitutes who at the first refused to hear John the Baptist preaching, now they're coming to the Lord. They were the ones that at the start didn't do what they were supposed to. They turned away from God, but now they come back. And you could imagine just how 
incited these people would have been. Because the implication is, you're the first, are you the second son? You're the one that says, you're going to do this. You're going to live this life. And then it turns out, you don't. And that was the, that was the chief priest. That was the elders. That was the scribes. That they talked a big game. They talked all of the right things. But when the rubber, rubber met the road, they actually didn't go out into the vineyard. They found a loophole in the law or whatever else they did. And so as we hear this, of course, as it gets turned personally on the priests, on the elders, it happens to us this weekend. This parable for us as the church presented kind of makes us ask that same question. How in my life do I say the right things? Do I tell the Lord I will serve you? I praise you at Mass. And then do my actions actually live up to it? Do I just, am I like that second son that says, yes, I will do what you want. And then when push comes to shove, we find something better to do. Or we we rationalize our way out. That we have these great thoughts or great promises. And then at the end of the day, what actually happens? And so that's the question all of us kind of get posed today. Do Do our actions meet the words that we promise or what we want to do? Does there need to be more or better follow through? And our Lord gives us, our, really St. Paul gives us quite an antidote today in the, in the second reading. The second reading he has, first of all, he, start, he has Christ's example of how Christ lived this. And it's kind of a, a hymn almost where St. Paul says, though he was in the form of God, he did, not deem, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness and found human in appearance He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this example that Christ gives for himself, we profess this in the creed, that he's God from God, light from light, true God from true God, but he enters into our world. He becomes a slave. He he dies on the cross. He gives himself completely up for us, which he didn't have to do. We completely don't deserve it. He doesn't have to do this. Yet out of this great love, Rather, he, his actions, his offering meets what he says. His offering of his death, his life on the cross, meets the fact that he proclaims to be the Messiah. And he gives us this, this antidote of humbling himself. And that's how he lives out what he says. That's how his words and his actions are met. And before this, in the second reading, St. Paul has some instructions to the people, to the people who are listening to this letter. But one of them just is remarkable. Well, the whole thing's remarkable, but one of them just cuts right to the heart, where he tells his listeners to humbly regard others as more important than yourselves. Which you think, like, oh, that's a nice thing, right? Regard others as more important than yourselves. I read this on Monday morning as I was kind of praying with the scriptures, and I thought, I should do this. I should regard those people that I meet as more important than myself throughout this week. And it was tough. How often going through the day as I'm in a conversation with somebody, I'm thinking like, all right, time to go, got stuff to do. Or how often there was something that needed that somebody that came in that I was more concerned about my to-do list than what's going on. And I think we're probably all live this in some way, shape, or form where we want to give our opinion, where we want to tell people before we're willing to listen, where we want to hear or we don't want to hear what's going on. We think our problems are more important than their problems. And St. Paul's invitation 
is to regard others as more important than ourselves. And not just like some people, but every person that we meet. Whether it's a coworker that's like the most annoying person we've ever met. That's not you, Alex, sorry. Um, or, it's, it's, or it's, it's a child that's having a rough day, or whether it's, it's somebody that we meet that's begging on the side of the road, or somebody at the gas station, that each and every person that we meet is more important than ourselves, and to regard them in this way, to listen to them, to hear, to ask how we can help before we kind of just lay all of our problems on them. And it's quite the invitation from our Lord, it's quite the task that he asks us to, but he gives us the help. He gives us, one, he gives us this great example each and every time we come to Mass. We hear those words when he institutes the Eucharist, this is my body given up for you. As Christ empties himself for us. He gives himself, humbly regarding himself as us more important than him. So he lives this example. And we hear it every time we come to Mass. But then as he gives us his own flesh and blood, as he gives us his body. He gives us his life as we're sent forth from this place to go and do likewise. That just as Christ says, this is my body, this is my life given up for you, we're invited to do likewise. We're commanded to do the same thing, to receive the God who pours out himself for us and then go out into our daily life to everything that we do to live for others to not regard ourselves as number one, to not be the most important person in our lives. And this is we, how we'll be humble workers in the Lord's vineyard, that we'll not only be the ones that say yes, like that first son, but we'll also be like the second son who goes out and does what his father asks. And the Lord invites us to do something similar today, that once we've received the, received the body given up for us, we'll be able to go into the Lord's vineyard and treat others as more important than ourselves.